Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes it rains. A little lesson from Bull Durham carried over for the Jays last night. That that one gets washed away. They'll do a holiday Monday doubleheader down in Baltimore on September 5th to make that one up. If there were ever a time that a team could use a pair of days off, not the not the worst possible time for the Jays. Bullpen gets two days off. They can kind of restructure uh, their rotation a little bit and try to wash away back-to-back series splits that you felt like you could have won and then a, a 2-0 loss to the Orioles there. The wild card lead is precarious. They're still in the top spot. Seattle's only half a game back. Seattle's got Texas this weekend, who uh, the man to my left, who I'll introduce in a second, bet against heavily today, already looking good. That's the state that the Texas Rangers are in. Mm -hmm. And Baltimore and Tampa, both only two games back, a number of teams still within four and a half of the Jays. So we take this two-day off stretch at the exact two-third way of the season, and we're going to reunite the good show here. I'm joined by Ben Ennis of Fan Drive Time and J.D. Bunkus of the Fan Morning Show, mm-hmm. formerly together, mm-hmm. good show. Is this awkward for you guys? Well, it, it must be something because J.D. actually, he, he traveled down the road to come mm-hmm. in studio for this. I thought there was free stuff here for me, and it no, wasn't. No, there's nothing. There's, there's nothing. nothing here. There's yeah, no, no people. There's no things. Yeah. Didn't uh, even let me buy you a coffee. It's barren. <laughs> it's barren in here. It's the way to describe it. Yeah, there's nobody. I had to go down to the loading dock today, and I was with, you know, the fellas, mm-hmm. the real grinders, <laughs> the real blue collars. I, I, I didn't feel very much like a man. I felt like a boy. <laughs> I felt like a boy hanging out with the men, and they were like, we're working hard down here. I was like, yeah. And you're wearing white shorts that, that don't have a stain on them. Yeah, I was, I was thinking... Hey, is this the loading dock where maybe there's the free coffee that I thought someone sent me? <laughs> is this where I go for the pods? <laughs> yeah. They were working hard. They were all like sunburnt and they were grinding. I was like, yeah, this is a tough look for me. I Can make air miss- for a living. Yeah. Oh, I do nothing. I just do nothing. <laughs> Honestly, uh, like my only thought of the day was, as Blake was bringing us in, Bull Durham's an awesome movie. Yeah. It's Field of Dreams time. Do you guys think that that movie stinks like a normal person or do you have daddy issues and you like it? I have no daddy issues. I played yeah. catch with my dad all the time. Yeah, it's a daddy issue movie. Field of Dreams wasn't... Uh, for ladies, it's the poll. For men, yeah. it's they love Field of Dreams. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a uh, high on my favorite baseball movies. And I know that's a little blasphemous, but... No, it stinks. No, I, I, th- I think that take is almost cliched now. Like, I think it's done a total 180. Like, like any self-respecting baseball person no longer likes Field of Dreams. Like, yeah. I, I don't think it's cool oh, to like Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams? Yeah. Yes. Oh. I'm yeah. down for this. I'll just I say, it's, like it's not even a top two Costner baseball movie. Not even a top yeah. three Costner sports movie when you factor in draft day where he hoses the Jacksonville yeah, Jaguars. Oh, come on. <laughs> Tin Cup. No. I had oh, yeah. Tin day. Cup, yeah, too. I would say Tin Cup 1, Draft Day 2. What's the baseball movie you're uh, talking Yeah, Bull Durham. Oh, yeah. Bull but Durham. Like, yeah. And there's another one, uh, For but, Love of the Game. Yes. For Love of the Game. Yeah, I never saw that one. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I, yeah, you know what I loved was uh, Alec Manoa talking about Summer Catch. <laughs> yeah. Was that was Summer Oh, was Freddie Summer, Prince yeah. Jr., Freddie Prince. The, the TV no, athlete wait. of my time. Summer Catch was the Freddie Prince Jr. one. Yes. What was the Jimmy Fallon one? About Fever them? Pitch. Fever Pitch, yes. Yeah. Summer Catch, Fever Pitch, both better than Field of Dreams, 100%. Freddie Prince, better than Costner, no question. Speaking of actors and actresses who have been in multiple sports things, uh, at 4 o'clock, we're going to have Kelly McCormack yeah, on. Sweet. She is a part of the new Amazon 
Showdown series that launches tomorrow, uh, a league of their own. They've turned the movie, they've repurposed the movie and kind of rewritten it as a show. That's She's- gutsy. Yeah, that's a gutsy one to take because everybody loves that movie. Like I that's saw the, the first couple field of dreams. I like, saw the first couple episodes. It's real good. Okay, it's funny. It's uh, you know, obviously, it still takes place when it takes place, but it's uh-huh. a little more modernized. Um, it's really good. So I'm excited to have Kelly on at four. She was also uh, a hockey player in Letterkenny. Okay. So she's uh, she started to check off all the Coster boxes too. We got to get her in a golf flick next, I guess. Mm-hmm. Tin cup is good. Lay up, tin cup. <laughs> he won't do it. He no. won't do it. Yeah, he didn't win the tournament. <laughs> no, he but just. He what didn't like. get d- a DQ'd. Yeah. Yeah. No, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Who is it? Rene Russo? Dude, that's he, right. he, he got Rene Russo I, back, I though. I Tin Cup 2 where he realizes what he cost himself with the paycheck there and mm. that he's back in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, the idea that a man who has been... Uh, not not a good dude yeah. wins the woman back by being irredeemably stubborn. Yeah, I don't think that's how you it don't would think they're making that movie in 2022. No. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, Kelly McCormack on with me at four o'clock. Uh, a little later, I also have Jada Lee, the 16 year old from like Team Newfoundland, <laughs> who uh, uh, is pitching in the the Canada game. She's the first girl to pitch in the uh there well, i was gonna say in the boys tournament there is no girls baseball tournament at the canada game so uh she's coming on with us a little later as well but first we got to get through this nonsense uh i mean i assume there's going to be a lot more nonsense jd by the way on the fan morning show this morning at the end of like a three and a half minute monologue said he thought that his share of the talking in this hour where you guys are on is going to come in around 33 percent i was hoping no <laughs> I, I mean, if there were ten people in this round table, like maybe you could you could convince me it gets close to thirty three percent. If it's anywhere if it's shy of eighty percent, I'll be I'll be blown over. Absolutely astonished. That's just the way she goes. And I'm not saying no comment. And I'm not listen, he does appearances on on my program, and I guess the guest always talks more than the host, but yeah. Except for on my shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't right. gonna say it, but <laughs> but he came on uh, seconds after the the trade deadline, and I for I think more than thirty minutes, I maybe said three words. I don't, yeah, no, that, but that's what you get. That's what you sign up for yeah, when, when when you get JD Bunkus in look, studio. I didn't bring you guys in studio knowing ahead of time it would be the day after a rainout. You guys were just on the schedule for this day, but boy, what good fortune yeah. I have. If I'm going to have to fill six hours in between Jay's games to get you guys in studio for one of them. Uh, so we'll track that over under. JD said if someone, uh, if someone at home can uh, track it and <laughs> count how much of it he talks. He's, he's bite. Yeah, but I'm also hosting. I'm yeah. not going to have dual stopwatches going I regret uh, it. This. I regret bringing it up earlier. I regret. Um, <laughs> by the way, no, I don't want to see the hardcore facts put in front of me. You know, it's I think already it's, it's seventy percent, right? Like we've been on now seven and a half minutes. I'd say, yeah, sixty, seventy percent. It's the fakest stat ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's going to be eighty percent no matter what. Yeah, I Yeah, we got to get the Statcast data going here. Um, quick non-baseball question for you guys right as we came on the nba and mbpa announced that they're retiring bill russell's number six across all of basketball okay that's what i was gonna ask i mean i think this is a pretty obvious thumbs up 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what I'm going to start some, the program. Some people say, don't like I jerseys think, being retired. No, but imagine, hey, the civil rights leader <laughs> who won more than the anyone else. The greatest winner of all yeah. time. Forget it. <laughs> yeah, so, Make, yeah. 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 Well, how many teams were there with yeah. Bill Russell? But you know there's, there's going to be a take player. out there that like, oh, well, every, every number Michael Jordan wore has to be retired now too. Here's the thing. Bill Russell means more than Michael Jordan. It of just, course. He does. Like, to the world, man, and, like, he's the winningest guy ever. If mm-hmm. Bill Russell was, like, wanted one ounce of attention on himself, like, if he cared about self-aggrandization in any kind of way, um, the whole world would know way more about Bill Russell. Yep. Any book you read about anybody from that time is like, and then Bill Russell got involved um, to make sure that things went well but didn't want to be front and center at all. He's the athlete that I think I probably read the most books on who I think has one of the most compelling stories ever. But yeah, I, honestly, I, I didn't really want to tweet anything when Bill Russell died because I thought it was kind of, uh, it was it's just kind of weird for guys our age to do a little bit. Like I didn't watch Bill Russell's career, but I think that he's still one of the most underappreciated figures that has ever existed in sport. I think that he's an underappreciated civil rights leader. Um, I think he's one of the most important voices that's ever um, been a part of sport. And for the league to recognize him in a way that he never really wanted, um, that I, I think that's just kind of like representative of Bill Russell in general. So, no, I'm totally fine with it. And, and to, the, to your point about people our age, like, no, we didn't watch him. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the important and historical sports figures who you learn about and read about if you're a younger sports yeah. fan and they they're kind of – you know, they're sports books, but they introduce you to the world. Like Muhammad Ali, yeah. if you read about Jackie Robinson or Roberto Clemente, like yeah. those are... Jim and, Brown. Yeah, and, and those are... I mean, even someone like Kurt Flood with, yeah. with free agency on the baseball side, like those are ways to engage young sports fans in larger world issues and, and kind of highlight the importance and the weight sport can carry. So I don't think it's a, an age-specific thing where you had to watch them or anything but like that. But I think that. what is good is, is that you won't really learn about Bill Russell and you unless you seek him out, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not like a guy who's conducive to highlights, right? You don't see Bill Russell highlights run now. And if you did, you'd go, what, is rebound? Like, <laughs> go, yeah, sweet. It's a sweet yeah. rebound. A sweet block shot. It would be helpful to teach people Blake. about defense, though, because yeah. Bill Russell's whole thing was like the absence of things happening. Yep. It's like, oh, yeah, Will Chamberlain drops like 80 and 40 on everyone. And then when he's up against Bill Russell, he turns into J.D. Bunkus in the post. That's right. Like, so I, I think that it's important that he's remembered as a winner. Um, but that's the finals MVP. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's finals MVP. And that think should be enough. Win? No. no like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How much is enough? What's the tipping point? But yeah, I think that to me anyways, it's like the kind of constant reminder of his impact on the sport is more through the Jersey retirement around the league. And the finals MVP is more about the winner and the retirement is more about like what he represented beyond the game. And uh, Matt, your question in the Matt the Garbage Man in the text line. I love Matt the Garbage Man. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to read out the the whole part of it, but to the point of your question of what guys currently wearing number six are going to do, including LeBron James, yeah. they're allowed to grandfather it in. It's just s- no one knew we'll be able to take number six. Honestly, that'd be so lame if you keep doing it. LeBron's like, when I'm done with it, then yeah. we're good. Hamadou uh, you know? Diallo's yeah. like, no, I'm <laughs> yeah. keeping the number six. You grandfathered well, into wearing the retirement. Mariano Rivera did it, right? Yeah. yeah. But he was also close with the family. Yeah. So that's uh, like that. I think that was a part of the tribute was like, hey, I'm kind of 
Also not, learning not more the, about Marion Rivera yeah, post career. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a guy who really no. gave too much of a craps about too many things. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, public perception, not in his purview of things that he's overly concerned about. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's uh, pivot it to current baseball. With the rain out last night, uh, the Jays are going to bump Jose Barrios to start tomorrow, the opener of the Cleveland series. Uh, Cleveland hasn't confirmed their probable starters, but you're probably getting Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie, which is uh, a lot. But with the two days off, the Jays can juggle the rotation a little bit. I want to do some bigger picture stuff with you guys. But for right now, you have this two days off ahead of a stretch of 10 games. So twice through the rotation, no skipping a start. You can line up the rotation more or less however you want at this point. Like you could, based on normal rest, go Barrios, Gosman, Manoa this weekend against Cleveland. Now, then you have the the lighter back end against Baltimore next time. Um, if everyone were on turn, you would go Barrios, White, Gosman, Kikuchi, Manoa. Um, ben, would you kind of... Like, one of this is you got to start winning games now. Mm-hmm. And another is, like, looking way, way ahead. What does a wild card rotation look like? Are, are you doing much with your rotation right now other than let's win as many games as possible? Yes, uh, that's what you're doing. But you're the, the way I view it is... You know, I lineup construction, we know protection. Okay. Well, it feels like it exists. There's been a number of, of, of different studies that, you know, the, the actual impact on a game is negligible, but what isn't negligible is that the higher you are in the lineup, the more uh, plate appearances you get throughout the course of a season. So if you start, you say Kikuchi tomorrow, he's going to get the most starts the rest of the season. So I would, uh, yeah, sh- shift old Mr. Kikuchi to number five in the rotation. You you find ways to skip a start from him every opportunity that you get. You can't bump him from the rotation as long as Ross Stripling is is still on the IL. But that's that's that should be priority number one. I've already seen enough from Mitch White to to, to leave me down the thought uh, road of, yeah, he's a, he's a guy I'd rather see every fifth day than you say Kikuchi. What your number one priority in, in assessing what you're doing with this rotation is making sure you get the fewest. You say Kikuchi starts the rest of the year. Do you then JD though, separate Gosman and Manoa. So you go Brios, Gosman, white Manoa Kikuchi then say, so that you don't have Kikuchi and white back to back. Uh, for so, the bullpen purpose. There's things about like what I would do versus what I think is going to happen. I'm asking what you would do. Yeah, I I, I, I think Kikuchi is still starting. I, I don't think that Mitch White is stealing his job. I think he's going to go back to the bullpen because they don't think Kikuchi can be a bullpen arm. And they need arms. They need innings. Honestly, like the last Kikuchi start, it sucked how it started with the three runs in the first. And you go, oh, my God. And they're behind the eight ball. And then they left him out there again. It was his eighth long. best start this season. That's, that's, but it's I, top half. He's made 19 yeah. starts. It was his eighth best. But but you would sign up for that every single time out of him right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, grading on the Yusei Kikuchi scale, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you're you're right in the sense of, do I think Mitch White not right now is probably a better starting pitcher than the guy who's been the worst starting pitcher in baseball over his last 10 starts? Yeah, I do. I don't mm. think that's a very high bar to clear. But I think that... You got to keep Kikuchi in the lineup because you need the innings and you need the guy who can piggyback off of him and Mitch White. I just think that one makes more sense, that kind of like 1A, 1B. If we're talking about like what starters to go with right now, my whole thing is win baseball games and go with what gets you to having that home field advantage. That's the story yeah. of the season now. Mm-hmm. Like they're playing Cleveland and it's all these teams that uh, two weeks ago heading into the deadline or a week ago heading into the deadline, I should say, not two because then they were kind of faltering, but once they got hot under Schneider, Everyone kind of felt like in their rear view and all these teams felt like they were very much a step behind the Blue Jays. And then you tweeted out that thing, Benny, about how 
the Jays' record against good teams is that they stink. Yeah. And then you look at their home record versus their road record, and you go. But, but that's true for every team except the Yankees and Astros sure. in the AL. But, uh, but the, I guess like the they're point, just though, so far ahead of everyone that even every other good team has a losing record against winning teams. But I think the main point is, is like, I don't know. I'm not as solid about this whole idea I had before, which is that it goes Yankees, Astros at the very top. And then Jays is kind of the next no, tier no, down. No, no, Seattle, especially the way Seattle that's, has played the I Yankees, mean. and they got the Astros coming up, but they've played the Astros super, super tight as and well. And who went season. out and got stuff at the deadline? Yeah. This is what I'm saying. I actually do feel like the gap between the Jays and the rest of this field is representative of where they sit. I don't view this as like a bad luck scenario anymore. I think that they need to have play their best baseball to get that home field advantage, whereas a week ago I kind of thought it was – I thought we might have a little bit of a boring stretch here where they're in that no man's land of, well, they're locked into their home field advantage and everyone else is kind of a step behind and it's a matter of who you play and who would you rather play conversations. And now it feels like you could easily lose two of three to Cleveland. Yep. You could easily lose that doubleheader to Baltimore and have them just jump you in the standings in one afternoon. All these things feel on the table right now and it's it's unsettling. So I guess just the, the prerogative to me is, win regular season games. Yeah. I'm not even thinking about playoff baseball right now. It's just like, it's, oh, no, it's no, what no. everyone wanted. Meaningful fall <laughs> baseball. Congrats. We're here. We got it. Yeah, no, you weren't You weren't suggesting, Blake, that you start setting your playoff rotation. No, no, now, no. Right? Just you do keep an eye on. That was how I interpreted the question. Okay, so it's more about moving Manoa up a day yeah. so that, you know, this 10-game yeah. stretch, you don't skip anyone because it's 10 days. It's 10 games. Yeah. But the next time through, then Manoa's in a better spot yeah. to potentially skip Kikuchi. Like, the more you... It was more about Ben's point of... Yeah, if you slide a guy up, up in the, yeah. If you slide a guy up a spot, maybe you steal but an extra start with them. You are right the that Kikuchi is not departing this rotation the because rest of the season. It's right, not happening. Right now, the way... Assuming the rotation didn't change and Stripling just drops in for Mitch White, you'd get two extra starts. Mm-hmm. So... Through the rotation and then two extra starts. So mm. Barrios and then the way it would line up right now, Mitch White. So I think the jump Gosman there is an obvious one. And then, yeah, you you bump Manoa ahead of Kikuchi well, so that Kikuchi's in the you-can-skip-him spot next time around. The Manoa thing is getting interesting, too. I know. You want to have a, at least one time where you could skip him. Yep. Uh, ERA has gone up every single month this season. Uh-huh. Obviously, you know, he gutted through five innings. He's had a couple of starts. I mean, that's part of what makes him so great is that he's able to gut through these these appearances without his best stuff. But, but like it's getting worse. Seventy seven pitches, and yeah. he looked gassed. Yeah. And we're seeing Ben Nicholson Smith throw stuff in his articles about like, yeah, they're they're monitoring all the biometric stuff, and mm. in between starts, it's like, yeah, I know that they do that for everyone, but it doesn't warrant mentioning for everyone after every start. I don't think. Well, he suffers from everybody looking at him, going, "You could do more." Yeah. What? Like, what were you talking about? The big guy? He's tired. His yeah. arms hurt? Nah. He's he's all right. That's really kind of counterintuitive too, right? Like if you're a big person, you have a lot more to move. You should get tired quicker, shouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, but he's the kind of big guy where you look at him and you just think, like I always think about CeCe Sabathia. I'm just like, oh, yes. you're CeCe Sabathia in your prime where you're going to go over 200 innings and who cares? And you're just, you're a brick bleep house where you, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you throw. And the thing is too is he backs it up. He's a walk it like I talk it guy, right? Where mm-hmm. it's just everything he says backs up everything that he does. And all he ever talks about is wanting to be a stud on the mound and pitch more and be there more for the team. So you just kind of take him for granted, I think, a little bit that you put him down in pen for, hey, he's going to eat up all these innings. I feel like if he was anybody else and he didn't have that body type, this would be a way bigger story. Like if he's... um Aaron Sanchez. Yeah, like that's what I was going to say. If he's just like a tall, 
guy, but he's not built like that. I do think we're having way more discussions about this, let's just say. Which is, it's hilarious then to look at Sandy Alcantara, and he's like a 6'5 yeah. string bean and is yeah. lapping everyone in innings pitch. He goes into the eighth the other night, and he's yeah. like, yeah, I was disappointed. I expect more from well, myself. Well, three complete games. I like, know. nobody else has two, so I don't sweet. think. Yeah, Complete games going to become as rare as the, the no-hitter. The, like, we get complete games twice a year. I think I checked the other day, and there were only 21 or 22 in it, all of baseball this year. Yeah, It's like all complete games are going to end up being no-hitters, because yeah. that's going to be the only reason that you leave guys in for that much by the way uh cleveland is in action right now at detroit but they have confirmed their starters for the weekend series they'll go cal quantrill who quietly has a sub four era over a whole season's worth of work uh tristan mckenzie who checks in at 316 and can strike a guy out and then shane bieber who is shane bieber Mm -hmm. on the sunday one so yeah you want your arms out there. Um, let's do, before we take a, our first break, let's do a little bit of uh, Concern Index, J.D. So, Ben, if you remember, Concern Index is I throw something at you guys. You go from zero, Blake, why are you even bringing this up? It's so not a concern, to five, which is, you know, well, J.D.'s reaction to everything yeah. is uh, is a five, even if the number is not a five. But you, you know what I'm saying. J.D. on trade deadline uh-huh. day on fan drive time is a five. 32 right. was me right. on trade deadline. Yeah. Right. Uh, so let's let's do it quickly then since we just mentioned it. Alec Manoa, sixth in the AL in innings pitch. No track record of going this deep because of his age and because how fast he moved through the minors. Your concern index with Alec Manoa's workload. Uh, Performance-wise, it's a four, but as far... Oh, God. I, I feel like I there's not enough wood to knock on here. But as far as, like, you know, actual long-term concern about Alec Manoa that he's reaching this 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 level, this innings mark, somewhere where he's never been before, it's it's low. It's a two, right? But as far as performance, I mean, just, just look at – just chart the graph out. Mm-hmm. Just look at his game log. You know I love a graph. Uh, and you do. And so you've done this. But, yeah, no, I think it's a four because that's a guy – I mean, you, you're supposed to have three very reliable starters for the most se- most part this season. You've had two. You've had Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman, and, like, when he's at home, Jose Barrios, and when he's on the road, absolutely not. Now <laughs> you have, like, I don't know, one and a half, one and three quarters. I mean, you still feel good when Alec Manoa's on the mound because, again, you, you, you had a lead uh, before the rainout in that last Alec Manoa start. But, no, I, 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 I still put this one out of three because he's, he's still good enough. Uh, I'm going to go lower. I'm just going to say a two because as much as the numbers are higher month over month, they're still really good. And it's still in the point where when he has a a start like his last one, you're disappointed because he's just not dominating, you know, over seven innings, giving up a run or two, which is the early Alec Manoa stats. So I do feel like that's at least something to point out. But if you look at like I... I tweeted this the other day, but Alec Manoa is the perfect guy in terms of taking his numbers and, and using them to kind of spin it out as a positive things. Like after Alec Manoa loses, or he's given up, I think, four runs three times this year. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> like, that's pretty damn awesome. Is ERA still what? Like two, mm-hmm. under two five? Yeah. I can't be overly concerned about this guy. I guess the reason why I would even have it at a two at all is that any reason to be concerned about him would like automatic, like anything happens to him or he's not the guy, then it's an automatic five because you have zero, you have zero percent chance of doing anything this year without him or Gossman. Like one of those two guys gets removed or they're not the same guy, you're dead. Yeah. And to highlight that, the next thing that I was going to go to you guys with is, okay, let's say Manoa gets to the wild card. Fine. But Manoa and Gossman split the first two games of the wild card. One, one, your concern index with that game three, Ben, uh, six, like that's, <laughs> no, you cannot be, well, I guess, 
it, it, it depends on where it is. Because I don't put a lot of faith in the home road splits for Brios because he's also been bad at home sure. at times. And no, there's but it's not seven a, versus three. Yes. I know, but it's it's there's there's still not a compelling answer as to why he pitched well in Minnesota for years, and now he pitches yeah, poorly Minnesota's in Minnesota. Like the nicest pitcher park. Mm-hmm. I know, it's but like, he pitched poorly there last time. Yeah. This is what I'm saying: is there's not a there's not a consistent explanation for why on the road. Yeah. So what? It, it, it's happened, right? Like, I don't know why it's happened. <laughs> sure. Hey, I but don't there, know why. There was the, a year where Drew Hutchison had like a 150 ERA at Rogers Center and like a 12 ERA on the road. That uh-huh. that one told you Drew Hutchison is bad mm-hmm. is what that told you. This one with Barrios, I don't, I guess it's not even that I have faith in him on the road. It's that I don't have the same confidence oh, level listen, in him at home that the home road split suggests. Listen, it's not a one if he's at home. Okay. <laughs> it's like a five if he's on the okay. road and it's like a three and a half, four. If he's at home, the the season has been so, so up and down for him with way more downs than ups that, yeah, you, you, you'd be, you'd feel pretty good about finishing off a wild card series in two games, because if it gets to that third one, it is, man, you're everybody in the bullpens on, on high alert. You're going to try and squeeze six outs out of, of Jordan Romano. You're, you're going to just try and get through that third game any which way. And you, you hope for the best with Barrios because you know you have him for the for three quarters of a decade still to go, <laughs> but yeah, the, anything that you've seen this year, there's nothing to suggest that you should feel all that comfortable home or away. Mm. I just imagine what this conversation would have been post deadline if the Jays hadn't signed Gossman this year, like they struck out on Gossman or that Gossman wasn't pitching like the way he is. Now imagine the other side where they get Luis Castillo and instead of I'm not and I'm not saying they should sure. have but like it is extra hurtful that the team that on a balance of probabilities you're going to see in that first round of that wild card series yeah. is now going to go up against Manoa and Gosman with Robbie Ray and Luis Castillo. Yeah. I just mean look at this money right now this yeah. year of underperforming guys because I think we should absolutely be putting Springer in that category at this point given the health and that his OPS is barely over 800. The record, again, Benny, you mentioned it. They need him to play because when he's not playing, the team isn't the same. But, yeah, the Ryu money, the Kikuchi money, um, the fact that these guys uh, gave Tanner Rorick like a little bit of cash, <laughs> that, yeah, Gossman, they've hit on guys like the Matzes of the world and the Robbie Ray got that incredible contract. It was like, what, 11 million bucks or something like that for yeah. a season? It was awesome. I thought it was nine. But Maybe yeah. even lower. Yeah, who knows? But uh, who knows? Uh, everyone, Google. Uh, it's contracts. It's there. It's, it's there's no public. way to know. There is just no way. Yeah, there's no way of knowing. But I, I keep coming back to that thing with Barrios is, weirdly, because Kikuchi exists and because the other two guys have been so great, he kind of falls into this weird void where people just, it, it hasn't been to me the story it would be any other year. Like, oh, I think it's a massive story. This it, guy it, no, got is. one out on opening day. It is, and and <laughs> I was pissed that day uh, in anger and alcohol. Yeah. Uh, but it was just, it's just, I don't think that the vitriol towards him is anywhere where it would be with like a guy putting up an ERA over five that got that kind of contract because Kikuchi absorbs all that, right? It's like, you got to save some of your anger for Kikuchi. And, and the Ryu thing, and you're not right. angry at Ryu for yeah. that, but yeah, he's like the third worst use of money in the rotation this but, year. That's been kind of the story of the Jays season to me is that it's like how many of their star players that they're counting on have exceeded expectations. Like we went into this offseason going, man, it's going to be really tough for Vladdy and Bo to exceed what they did last year, but they kind of need them to. But all right, Springer's going to give you more. Well, guess what? Springer's giving you less. Vladdy and Bo have given you less. 
Barrios has given you infinity less. Like, it hasn't been... No, helped. Springer's given you more because he's he's played more than last year. Yeah, but his OPS is 800 when he's Doesn't, played. Yeah, that's still good. That's well above right. league average. He's played, and he's played good defense sure. in center field as well. But I think right now he's played like 12 more games than he played last year. Yeah, and, and we, we still got 50-plus games, and apparently he's uh, going to return he, at, at the end of his 10... Can I settle this for you guys? Yeah. He has the exact same wins above replacement so far this year as last year. Yeah, so you're both 50, right. No, but he's going to play again, so he's going to add to that. Right, unless so he's below saying. replacement level in the final, yeah. whatever, 47 games. That you he know plays. something we don't about his health? He is going to play again? I mean, he, sure? was, he was in the outfield the other day. Like, he hasn't been shut down. Like, he's doing now, baseball Now, is this activities. a Tim Meza level? He was in the outfield where he was playing catch but can't catch? Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. All I've, all I've heard from, you know, the people that are there, and John Schneider said this as well, mm-hmm. unless they're there just lying through their teeth, which I, I guess is a which possibility. All the time. Uh, but, by the way, uh, speaking of lying through their teeth, like, it should be mentioned that at the deadline when they talked about it, they didn't mention, they didn't think that George Springer's oh. injury was going to be all that serious. They were, he was fine. Well, yeah, yeah, they, I mean, they just went out and traded two AAA guys for Whit Merrifield. Yeah. But I understand Coincidentally, that. Coincidentally. No, I understand. Jackie Bradley Jr. And right. Like, He's but you fine. Can't, no, but you can't say that <laughs> yeah. when you're in the middle of trying to create, you know, not have leverage created against you in no, the no, trade no. market. This was when it was done mm-hmm. and they spoke post-deadline. They mentioned in the media conference that they thought Springer was going to be fine and that the Merrifield well, he, yeah. well they played him once yeah, they did. Yeah, they, they, they did. Yeah. yeah, he missed the entire Rays series and then he came back and looked like he had a broken elbow yeah. uh, and then ended up on, on the IL. But just go, going backwards again, like the, 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 the lack of uh, attention on the Barrio season, I think yeah. is there's another aspect of that that I just want to hit on before we move mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Is that what is happening to Barrios is so unexpected, right? Like that y- you can play the results and say it was a bad seven-year extension but that guy was nah. the was the epitome of consistency throughout his entire career was he going to be spectacular no was you not thought you was were playing the, for a number three guy a hundred percent with kikuchi you could see this yeah. right like just it okay the only time he hasn't been this was for the first half of last year every other bit of sample from him in the major leagues of baseball has been basically this yeah so he that's stinks. that's that's why the front office doesn't get a pass with no. kikuchi and they're not getting a pass with Barrios, but it's a different conversation. I agree. All right. Let's take a break. We'll uh, we'll concern index some other stuff, but I also want to bring back an old good show, one of the trusts. What, what do you trust rankings, trust index? Yeah, now you have me confused. Yeah, I, like, I use index. I forget what you use. Confidence rankings. 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 There you yeah. go. Because we'll, we'll I said off. trust. I was like, what is yeah, it? I was we'll, like, trust tree? No, Yeah, we'll dust off yet. that good show thing. And uh, yeah, we'll take a break. Uh, JD and Ben, stay with us on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. Blake Murphy joined by J.D. Bunkus of the Fan Morning Show and Ben Ennis of Fan Drive Time for one more segment. Not sure if uh, the person who in the text line uh, said they were going to keep track is still going to keep track. We don't actually need the uh, we don't need the numbers. It's been an even enough split here. Uh, we did some concern index stuff before. Let's get. Uh, I don't know if it'll end up being more positive, but let's try to be positive. Let's go to an old good show classic. JD Bunkus's confidence ranking. So, guys, the scenario here is. The Jays are in a tight game, and it's a gotta-have-it plate appearance. Who are you most confident in coming to the dish right now? J.D., this is your bit, so I'll, I'll let you have it first. 
I mean, the first guy is obvious. It's Vladdy now. Yeah. Right? Yes. Like, yeah, because these are always evolving. This yeah, is yeah. in the moment, yes. right? Because there were, mo- I think we did this earlier this season and Vlad was like fourth or fifth when we did yeah, it. For you. Not yeah. When he was me, only yeah. hitting, he was good for a single every yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, if it's, <laughs> if it's bases loaded and you only need one run, sure. That mm-hmm. version of Vlad is still pretty high up. There. I actually think the lowest I've ever dropped him is three behind yeah. Kirk and Springer. And okay. I've had him lower than that. Yeah. I know you had him in Buffalo. <laughs> you, you, you thought he needed seasoning in AAA uh, at some points this season. The crazy thing is right now in the confidence ranking, if you just, so it's supposed to be gut, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like, it's how you feel right now. My gut tells me I would still want Kirk. I know he's been fighting it. No, not recently. He's come out of it the last couple yeah, of games. I, I know the last couple of games. So I'm just saying that the, the, it was like the OPS was over a thousand for a month. And since then it has not been anywhere near that. I just still want a guy who, again, is has that difficult strike zone, who can make contact. Like, the premise of confidence rankings is you need a hit, right? You need to catch mm-hmm. the runner from second base. And he's. it's not like draw the walk, the Kevin Biggio, just stand there, like, get the count. Yeah, that and, doesn't hurt, but it no. doesn't do the job. Yeah. You're Biggio, just passing, passing to back. the next guy. Biggio's yeah. all the way. He hit that home run the other night, but I see he's all the way back. Like, he's just standing there with his counts. He's like, I... I dare you to just throw this anywhere near the outside of the strike zone. I won't even I won't even give it a glance. Yeah, I still think Kirk is number two for me. Um, the the question is, um, situationally, I guess I would want Teoscar against the righty because he's still been mashing him. I think that he'd be my number three. I, I'm not putting Springer in this right now because again he's hurt and he's got the elbow thing and it's just it's not the same. So no, I, I, it's, what's interesting is where you put Lourdes and where you put Bo now that he's you know had I, this. Pretty good road trip, it must be said, right? Like the four games against the Twins and then had the two-homer game in in the second loss to the Orioles. Like he is – this is the guy that led the American League in hits a season ago, right? Mm-hmm. And there's clearly a hot streak in there. He can salvage his season, right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's still an OPS-plus guy over 100 playing shortstop reasonably yeah, yeah, well. Yeah, shortstop, right, yeah. Uh, anyway, he's just – he's not top three. So – Little statistical context. Vlad with runners in scoring position this year, 816 OPS. Not where you'd hope, but no, not bad. But uh, in high leverage spots, though, the um, the fan graphs metric for how important is this moment, uh, an OPS over one Yeah. in those spots. Small samples, but still, it's the only sample we have to go off of. He's been excellent in those spots. He also has... Uh, a way bigger walk rate than strikeout rate because, of that, course, teams are going to avoid him. That's a no-brainer to me, though. Yeah. Like, imagine somebody right now saying no. not Vladdy first. Yeah. Like, I don't know. So the, the interesting one, though, is then when you – if you are sorting by these things, yeah. the guy with the best OPS with runners in scoring position and – this is seasonally, right? This is season, yeah. but it's also – it's going to get to the, the point that you mentioned. And second to Vlad – in high leverage spots is Teoscar. Yeah. He's been really, really good with men on base and really, really good in big spots. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I still, it's probably a little bit of just how amazing Kirk was for that stretch that Mm -hmm. has him higher than Teoscar. I just, I still, I, I rarely watch Kirk have bad at bats and this team is so full of bad at bats. It's like that's the one refreshing thing about Kirk is is you watch him play, and it's never just. It was oh, the entire wow. sales pitch for Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah. was like, yeah, he's Bradley Zimmer, but you don't have to watch him strike out if he has to get yeah. up to the plate. So I still think I'd go Vladdy one, Kirk two, Teoscar three, and then 
Yeah, the debate to me does become between whether or not it's Lourdes or Bo. Well, and I, I give it to was, Bo right now because he's hot. Yeah, Lourdes, his numbers with runners, runners in scoring position are probably so bad. That yes. it's like this. It's like you yes. got to take out the first two seasons of Lourdes or the first two months of Lourdes. He was like one for yeah. seventy on yeah. the season, though. He's come around entirely. Like yeah, he's hitting, he hit everything. He's for hitting three twenty nine with runners in scoring position on <laughs> yeah. the air. Yeah, yeah. That's that's it. Is like Lourdes has his one hot month every single year that makes you go, this guy is. You, you cannot move him. He's he's a cornerstone piece. And then he has all his other months, and you're like, yeah, you could move him. Well, he's a different dude, though, this year. Yeah. Really. Yeah. He, he truly is. He's sacrificed power for on, well, I, I for, cannot for remember average. a Lourdes home run this year. How many does he have? Five. Yeah, yeah, he has five. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 it's like, you tell me the teams he hit him against, I, I have well, no memory and, and of any of them. And this is a guy that we, when we were doing the yeah. show together, I had Jim Bowden on. It was like, this is a yeah. guy that with 40 homer pop. Like, yeah. you, this is an immovable piece. The Blue Jays need to start building around this guy, not talking about him in trade. And... He's doing something different. I wouldn't say it's necessary. Well, it's less valuable than hitting 40 home runs with like <laughs> a 350 on base. But, but getting, you know, becoming a 360 on base guy, which is what he is this season, built largely over the 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 320 batting average or whatever. That that is something, especially considering the way the most the majority of this Blue Jays lineup is constructed. There's power there. If he if he's the one guy who sacrifices power for for base hits i think that's actually valuable for this team more than others okay now can i ask you guys because i think confidence rankings we would at least agree that it's those five guys unless you're including springer and then it's kind of that order ish like what what do you guys uh take umbrage with like i benny i already know that you're kirk too still right like are you yeah yeah I, i'd probably uh, yeah i I'd, I'd have kirk too there especially now that he feels like he's out of it and i would say there was like yeah there were there were actually a couple of at bats here in the last week or uh-huh. so where i was they were actually bad at bats yeah. where it looked like that he was trying to pull the ball, yeah. like he was opening up a little bit. But no, he's he's back to hitting. He's had a couple moments of frustration, but again, we're watching every single game, yeah. every single yes. game. And, and even still, you look at July and August where his numbers have fallen off, same number of walks and strikeouts. Yep. Yeah. He's having professional stuff. So I think, yeah, the top five are whatever order you want to shuffle them up in. The big question, I I, I guess the it's the match. Would you go Chapman. to Oscar too? Yeah, I'd have him second. Okay, right so now. yeah, so then there we go. So basically, it's like Vlad, Tay, Oscar, and then shuffle up the next three. Yeah, however you want. Lourdes and Kirk. Chat. It's the Chapman line because anyone below Chapman, you're not. They're not even in the conversation. Like no. Espinal's co- cooled off so much. Biggio, you don't need a walk or a strikeout that bad. Tapia, like you, you go down to the depth guys. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's just a matter of whether you include Chapman as a six or do. you don't. I absolutely do. Okay. Chapman's done enough now where he looks like old Chapman. Um, I mean, uh, he, he's the new leader on this team as far as streakiness. Yeah, right? that's like, what I was going to say. Is, is I feel like you're either in this guy's, is this guy the team, one of the team's best three players, or is this guy one of the team's worst <laughs> well, three players? Well, he went um, like a 20-game a, a stretch where he had like Hitters. eight homers and, and OPSing 1,000, and then yeah. he went like I think one for 18 with yeah. 15 strikeouts Right, right after that. Yes. Right as we were all like, is Chapman going <laughs> yeah. to make a late run at MVP yeah. of the team? It was 18 outs in a row. Right. And then, yes, uh, Mike Petriello put him on blast with his defense. And uh, yes. that's all anyone On Jays Talk, talk Plus first before Blue Jays Central. We, well, Mike we tried to fig- he stinks at D? Well, no, the metrics don't like his throwing this year. And, and Mike was able to find some video evidence that it's on the – his transfer. fielding remains pristine, mm-hmm. but the transfer getting the ball out of his glove. It's a lot of double clutching or a lot of having to re-grip the ball. And the arm is just statistically not where it was before. Uh, I'll tell you this. No Mike sticky Petriello. stuff on the ball. Oh, yeah. Retire. 
That's yeah. one of those ones is like pick your battles analytics guys. That's a number one pick your battle thing where I'm well, going. My point to him on the show. So we were going over some plausible explanations for how yeah. the Jays have this huge improvement in infield defense and Matt Chapman isn't a factor yeah. in it. And yeah. mine was like, okay, well in basketball, yeah. if you have a lockdown one-on-one guy, what does that let you do? Well, nobody else has to help off their man as much because you've got the top score on the other team covered. Mm-hmm. I think there's got to be some element of that going on where the way they position, the way they shift, the way Bo gets the play is just like, yeah, life's easier with Matt Chapman there. And yeah. he, he doesn't get the statistical credit for that. Yeah. He has, his range is still the same though. Um, yeah. It's it, amazing. It's, it's, I it's refuse basically... to believe that there's anything other than this guy's incredible. Well, when yeah. I buy tickets for people because people go, Hey, can you get me blue Jays tickets? And they, third they base ask line. me, yeah. Third base. You know why? Because you get to watch Matt Chapman and that dumper do work every <laughs> single day. Guy's a stud. I will refuse to believe hand transfer throwing. Tra- like, no, he's awesome. You know what happens when the ball gets hit to Matt Chapman out. That's what happens almost every single time. He's awesome. I refuse to acknowledge this stat or this. Yeah. Uh, I, I refuse. I, I will stump against it till the day I die. How about you just use it as part of the, the conversation, nah. right? Not as gospel that yeah. yes, maybe, maybe this isn't the best Matt Chapman defensive year ever, but he's still an above average defender. I would, I would say, yeah, if we're doing confidence rankings uh, for who yeah, in the where field, the ball gets hit to. Yeah. Matt Chapman's Last still number one. Although, Although Vlad is getting really close. Like, Vlad's yeah. going to win the gold glove at first yeah. base, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. Metri- the metrics like it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, listen, I, like, I love Vladdy. He can yeah. pick it. But last is Tay Oscar. It's, it's like, uh, <laughs> Tay Oscar. well, last is Tay Oscar for fielding. And then last for throwing a ball from the outfield is Tapio, where every time he throws it, I'm like, how long have you been throwing a baseball wow. for? Like a month before this, did they ever make you throw before now? What? I don't understand how that's even possible to throw it as poorly as he does sometimes. I was going to say, what's your confidence ranking between he and Merrifield? Oh, defender in no. center field? No, oh. no. Defender in center field, take Merrifield, even though I thought that he yeah, kind of... Okay. He may have caught the ball yeah, while you're talking about the triple it. play. No, just if you were doing right now, you got one at bat and it's yeah. one of those two guys, who would you rather have? Well, I mean, John Schneider told us if it's a righty at the end of the game, he'd choose Tapia because in like his third game as a member of the Blue Jays in a two-run game, a winnable game, he pinch hit uh, with Merrifield. And I would have done the same. For, for, yeah, Rymel Tapia, who's hitting 280, it should be said. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I think it's, it's... it's too early to make that judgment as a Blue Jay because the sample's so small. But yeah, I'd I'd be hard-pressed to make an argument against Tapia. Yeah. I'm just more, I can't believe I'm kind of a Tapia guy. Yeah. I, like, I feel sneaky good when he's at the dish. Are you still comparing Randall Gritchick uh, numbers to Rymel Tapia? I'll always ride with new Randall. <laughs> new, new, new Randall. I don't know what he's doing. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't well. want to know. Yeah, I know. It's not it's, going it's well. Bad. Yeah, it's fine. I still, I still stand for Rand. I like Tapia's stat line because he's doing one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to track with Alex Rios early in the season was always is he going to be able to do the statistical oddity where your batting average is higher than your on-base percentage? And he threatened it a couple times. And Tapia right now, this late in the season, is like the closest I've ever seen a Blue Jay. Yeah. Like with a decent sample of plate appearances. Like he's hitting 280 and has a 297 OVP. Yeah. Yeah, I know he's... Uh, but he doesn't strike out a ton, right? Like no. He's, he's Mr. It's just he doesn't ball. walk at all. No. Well, that's that... Listen, I, I had this conversation with Jeff Blair the other day. I guess it was yesterday. About how... You know, the the offense as a whole for this this team this season looks good, right? Like, they're yeah. second in the American League in just about every offensive. Everything but home runs. Yeah. Because they get one guy hot at a time. It, well, when we're talking about uh, offensive diversity, that mm-hmm. most people take that as they're too right-handed, right? I think 
they're they're, they're just not diverse. Yeah, but they, no, they're the diversity thing is it's a righty lefty thing a little bit, but it's they're seventh in the American League in walk percentage. Mm -hmm. There's just not enough. There's too many of the same type of guys offensively. And, too many Rymel Tapias, and Rymel Tapia is a left-handed hitter. But even Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is not a big walk guy, right? Like he's he's built this 360 on base percentage through a 320 batting average. There's very few and far between guys that can can go through a a week week and a half where their their timing's off. But you know mm -hmm. what? They're they're having a couple of two walk games mm -hmm. that are helping you win. There's just not enough of those guys. On it's team. why Kirk stands out so much, and yeah. it's why mm -hmm. Tay Oscar coming rounding into form over the last while is actually really fascinating. I don't know if either of you guys got to read the Fangraphs piece from Ben Clemens on him yesterday. Unless you forward those to me, I don't read them. So Ben Clemens will be on Jay's Talk Plus tomorrow. We'll talk about it a little bit more then. But basically, Tay Oscar has done the thing everyone's been asking Bo Bichette to do forever, mm -hmm. and it's like you know what just sit back early in the count and because pitchers were attacking Teoscar really aggressively early on and he was getting he was either not hitting well in the first pitch or getting behind early on like wasting swings on stuff he wasn't going to be able to do much with and his swing rate on the first pitch has gone down dramatically now and the results have turned around and that's not obviously that's not universal like Boba Shed, if you go up there like his second home run the other night was on the fourth pitch of the at-bat and he had swung at everyone because yeah. everyone was in the zone. Yeah. Why would you throw Bo Bichette stuff? Like, like you know you can pound the zone against him. So it's not for everyone, but Teoscar's approach is, I think, a little bit of what helps with it is it's different than the rest of the lineup. You know what's weird, though? I think that he's the most likely guy to go this offseason because I think they have to move Springer to right field. I think they got to get a center fielder. they got to look for some lineup diversity. I think Tay Oscar, the thing that sucks is uh, he's beloved by baseball players. I think he's loved by people in the city. I still think that the fielding errors that occur from time, like just the boneheadedness of just some of it sometimes is what holds him back from being just uber loved here. Like why he's not, you know, closer to, I think, Edwin's stature than what he is currently. But if they're choosing, I think they're going to have to choose between those two guys, Lourdes and, and Tay Oscar. And it's going to make more sense to move Springer over to right, and yeah. it's going to be more, more sense to try to move Tay Oscar into trade. Do you guys agree? Like, if you're picking yeah. between the two guys, which one moves? Well, Lourdes has an extra year of team control, right? He's under contract yeah. for next year, and, and he has an arbitration. And yeah. It's yeah, so... He's also Vlad's best bud, which everyone loves Tay Oscar anyway. <laughs> yeah. But if you're splitting hairs, the I face of the franchise's though. best friend is, I mean, it's a real thing that you have to weigh if you're a front office, I think. I hope that I get so good at this job that they are thinking about, you know, hey, I don't know, like you can cut Ben and Blake and they're like, please, you know, those guys are JD's best butts. So it's yeah. like, uh, let's get keep Rob. <laughs> yeah. Those are the only guys that's, that can keep JD in line. Yeah, we we got to keep one of them. Say, that's, a, that's a good spot to be is where you, you're so good you get like your guys entouraged into the <laughs> <laughs> you know, like down the team. Yeah, like James Jones lasting as long on LeBron teams as he did yeah. and then being handed a GM job. Yeah. Turns out he's actually good at it. But uh, anyway, um, quickly before I let you go, in terms of long-term future, JD, you guys had John Morosi on this morning, and I know he made a point about Bo Bichette's future that you found interesting. I just want to rehash it quickly here. Yeah, I don't really want to misquote John, but essentially the conversation was... When do you really start thinking about what Bo's future is with this baseball team? If we're talking about like you're too, um, you, you've got too much similarity on your team, right? You need to break things up. When does he become a part of the conversation? Because we just saw it where Juan Soto, he's entering his Juan Soto near your next year, right? Pretty sure he is. If he's not re-signing with you long-term, are, are, what are you doing? 
Like, what are you doing with Bo? Are you letting him go into another year where it's a, another year closer and everybody knows where he's going? That there's just a, it's a shortstop. It will still be a shortstop seller's market and that there would be a big one for him and that it would be a way for the Jays to change their roster if they view it as, hey, we can't bring back this team the same way. Anyway, I just thought it was kind of the reason why I think it's interesting. I've made this comparison a billion times now, but I feel like there's a Leafs element to the Blue Jays right now where it was like, they're young. This is all going to be here forever. And then all of a sudden it turned one day where everyone's getting contracts and you go, holy crap, the young Leafs thing is dead now. And now the pressure's on. And I feel like that's the year they're entering into with the the raises a lot of these guys are getting and the the reshaping of the roster. And and I do think that it's going to be interesting, you know, are you just letting Bo run out his contract here and run for no, or and leave for nothing? And if you're not, when do you start to have a conversation about what you would trade him for? Well, the 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 final 52 games of this season and all of the postseason is going to tell the tale of this offseason, yeah. right? Like if they lose in the wild card round or get through the wild card round and then get destroyed by or God Houston, forbid they miss the playoffs because they get an injury to a starter. Everything's on the table there yeah. because there is no, if you're okay, you're going back into free agency. Okay, the, maybe you can find some success there, but you've it's been stacked. it's been free agency and, is stacked this year. Yeah. It's also a case though where they have a franchise record budget right now and they already have more on the books for next year when you factor in raises and arbitration stuff unless they're going to spend at a Yankees Reds well maybe not Yankees level but a a very competitive level where is that free agent stuff coming from and and that's when you look into you know the stuff we've seen them do which is well maybe not free agency maybe you turn around and turn a prospect into something and, and that'll be you know we we can be I think reasonably assured one of the catchers will be gone this offseason um, when they're all major league ready. Anyway, those are discussions for a good show redux roundtable in the offseason. Uh, for now, we take it at the two-third break. Uh, hopefully this made some people feel a little better. It's going to be an anxious 52 games. J.D. Bunkus of the Fan Morning Show, Ben Ennis of Fan Drive Time. Thanks so much for taking the time, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. All right, uh, we're going to let those two guys go. We're going to take a break. When we come back... She plays Jess McCready, the shortstop from Moose Jaw, in the new Amazon Prime series, A League of Their Own. Kelly McCormack joins us next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. It's a little Carol King for your uh, Thursday afternoon from the original movie, of course, A League of Their Own. Uh, joining us now from the Amazon Prime series, A League of Their Own. It's award-winning win- writer, actress, producer, Kelly McCormack. Kelly, how are you? What's up? Hi, how are you? I am doing well. I got to check out the first couple episodes of A League of Their Own, and I love them. I'm really excited to get to watch the rest of the series. How pumped are you that this is finally out for everyone tomorrow? I'm so pumped, and thank you for watching and liking them. We're really excited. I mean, it's obviously everyone. It's somehow everyone's favorite film, like truly <laughs> everybody's. <laughs> so uh, there's a little bit of pressure, but I... Uh, um, you know, not to make like ongoing baseball references, but I think we knocked it out of the park a little bit. It's a little different. Uh, it's a lot different. So um, I'm excited for people to kind of explore different avenues of, of the actual women who played for the AAGPBL. 
Kelly, you can make as many baseball puns and references as you'd like. You're on a baseball show. It's the perfect spot for it. Um, so I'm curious I'm curious about, you know, some of what goes into making a show like this. And, um, you know, I read the press release or I see interviews, and I know that you've written in the past. Um, you had the, the film Sugar Daddy that you, that you wrote and um, acted in as well. Um, with Abby at the helm, how collaborative was this? Because there are a lot of people in this cast that have writing experience or stand-up experience. I, I'd imagine it was a pretty smart and funny group. How collaborative was this process? It was as collaborative as you could ever dream it to be, frankly. It was incredible. They told us right out of the gate that they were basing these characters kind of loosely off of us and our personalities. <laughs> so I, I pretty much demanded right out, of the, like right out of the bat, I was like, Jess is Canadian. She's from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. You know, and I, uh, I felt like Mo- Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan in the 40s was this really like gritty and gnarly place and perfect for like the origin story of a shortstop. Um, so, you know, really collaborative and, uh, I did a, a ton of research on the Canadian women who, who played for the AAGPBL. Um, and actually like the film is based off of two women from Vancouver, like the, the, the two sisters from the original film. Um, so they're, they're very collaborative and, and, you know, all of us are creators in our own right, as you said. So bringing that kind of like grit and spit to each character, particularly for Jess, for my character, um, was was kind of a dream come true for sure. So I know you're you're from Vancouver and now you're Toronto based, but trying to nail a 40s Saskatchewan accent and, and your character, not only the accent, but your characters like, you know, I know you put it as play baseball, smoke cigarettes, hit on women is kind of the vibe there. The It's not a... Uh, it's not the same as you'd hear downtown Vancouver, downtown Toronto in 2022. Yeah. How much work went into that part of it? Okay, you nailed it. Yeah, that's the vibe. That's the Jess vibe. I mean, it was funny because I talked to Abby about it, and I was like, how Canadian do you want me to sound, right? Um, and then she said something like, I want to sound Canadian, but still cool. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I totally got because I was like, you know, my character is all about like swagger and as you said, cigarettes, women, baseball, <laughs> and um, and uh, you know it, it's definitely taking the game very seriously. So having two, like I wasn't gonna have like a oh you know I'm from Moose Jaw, like I wasn't it wasn't gonna be too strong. But there was a few times where um, where I would throw in like a little a little bit of an accent. Um, but yeah, I did. It, it, it was it was yeah, it was all about that like shortstop swagger, which is uh, hopefully brought if I, if I tried. Did you have to work on your game at shortstop? Are you pretty natural? Like shortstop's the most, most athletic spot on the field that suit you pretty Mm -hmm. naturally. I I know you've got the, the hockey credits in your past as well. (laughs) Um, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to try and not be Canadian right now and just (laughs) say, yeah, actually it did, it did suit me. I'm, I'm very athletic. I played a lot of sports. Um, and I played baseball and I, I did play shortstop. I think I was probably the only actor who didn't lie about their baseball experience because that's part of acting is that you just say yes. Like, yes, I can ride a horse. Yes, I can shoot a gun. And, uh, but I, was, I wasn't lying. And uh, we were trained by um, some Team USA women like Kelsey Whitmore and Beth Greenwood and Justine Siegel, who's like the first woman to coach for MLB and Lena Park. And on the weekends, I would steal them and we'd go, you know, we'd go to the field and, and try and like workshop some moves, some, you know, double plays and some diving and, and all that. I think the hardest thing for me to sort of figure out what to do was to learn how to spit chewing tobacco, which took me three, <laughs> which took me three months. And I had to get my friend 
Christian Brune, who's also a Canadian actor, but he went to like military school and he was like, all right, we were outside his apartment for months, just like sitting, <laughs> like, like absolute, like absolute riffraff on the street uh. in Los Angeles. So um, that took the most time, but uh, yeah, we were, I mean, not just myself, like I, I, you know, I had played and, and I was, they definitely were giving me all the most like kind of athletic things to do on camera. But even some of the women who didn't come from lots of baseball, by the end of it, we were really good. Like we we're, we're doing a lot of that, those baseball stunts and we are, we are really good. So I'm hoping that people, uh, you know, get excited about that. And I hope for, if we get a season two for there to be more baseball, that more baseball, more makeout, that's kind of my, <laughs> my, my wish list. Jess's wish list for a season two. More baseball, more makeouts, less tobacco yeah. spitting is uh, the, I don't the know. check. <laughs> or, oh, you well, like the tobacco cool. spitting now? You're, I mean, you're on board? <laughs> Well, I wasn't actually spitting actual like there's, it, they put like tea bags in your mouth, of course, to sort of like <laughs> like 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 Lipton tea bags, like decaffeinated, and they're um, you know so you're not really you're not I'm not like high on chew <laughs> while I'm shooting <laughs> while I'm shooting a show, but uh, you know you get you get kind of addicted to playing a character and like their their demeanor and yeah playing Jess was was just fun because she was so cool. And was much cooler than I am. And what was it? Like four or five months, right? That you guys were in, in Pittsburgh? Yeah. Yeah. Four or five months we shot in Pittsburgh. It was like a gajillion degrees. It was so hot. Like hotter than I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and they they, re, they rebuilt like the whole field. It looks like a spec for spec remake of the film. And it was really surreal just being in the dugout and feeling that you were, you know, just in the movie. Um, but yeah, we shot in Pittsburgh and it was great because we, uh, well, no, it wasn't great. I mean, it was in the middle of, in the middle of COVID. So, but it meant that we could only hang out with each other because we were all being tested and all that. Um, so we, we, it ended up being that the, the team, like the actual cast was this like instant fraternity, this instant, you know, we were in a summer camp where we could only hang out with each other. So I'm hoping that that kind of like camaraderie really shines on camera because we it really, we really felt it in real life. And, and that's something that, you know, I don't know if everything gets shot exactly sequentially, but that's one of the things that after the first couple episodes, I'm looking forward to as the show goes on because the characters are obviously going to build that camaraderie more. And I know Abby has spoken publicly about, you know, the movie or the, the show rather is about, you know, what a team is like and what having that identity through community is like. And it's awesome to hear that from what it sounds like, um, the cast built that as well. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know the the show is attempting to show two sides of, of one city. You know, two sides of Rockford, um, both like the, the the peaches, the Rockford peaches from the film, and then also like um, Shante Adams' player, play, character Max Chapman, who represents the black women who ended up playing for the Negro Leagues. And so, but off camera, we're all really close friends, but we're portraying this like really difficult, in some ways honestly segregated experience of baseball for women in the forties. And, uh, and yeah, so that kind of like off camera camaraderie was really important to kind of offset the fact that we were really shooting two different shows. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. And so when I first watched, when I watched the series, when it was done, I was like, damn, hopefully this will be an exciting thing for people to experience. So in addition to those um, racial stories and the segregations of the time, uh, the show also goes into, like the original film, but in a little more 
depth and nuance, I think, just the kind of benefit of having a, an eight-episode series, um, things like gender and sexuality, um, the opportunity to get to explore those things and the racial element in a kind of more stretched-out form, how how great was that for you? How rewarding was that, um, you know, creatively and as someone who cares about those things? Uh, I mean, it's really hard. It's it's really hard to, I couldn't overstate how, what it meant to me. Um, it, it was huge. I, I just never thought like as an actor, like the ex- expectation of your performative femininity is so extreme and it's still extreme, even though it's getting a little better. I never, ever, ever imagined a career for myself where I could performative, performatively play this like, you know, farm boy from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, who's like, you know, smoking, wearing pants and, and I'm sort of living out this like a, a different type of identity that was maybe more in line with what I was feeling and, and, and what I would want to see in the world. Like five years ago, that's unheard of. And a lot of these women who flocked and found like a emotional haven in the AAGBPL were, were queer. And um, I think there's this kind of like uh, misconception that queer and gay women want to do sports because it's like they want to be more masculine or they want to be one of the guys. I think it's a little more complex than that. Like just deciding to, 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 to like bet on yourself and, and choose a life that is like outside of the pressures of that, of your social life and, and really like kind of work on yourself and, and believe in yourself in an alternate way that, that is, that is kind of, you know, outside of, of the, the expectation of living like a straight, um, cisgender kind of female life is is something that I think a lot of queer women well, the reason why a lot of queer women turn to sports and that was this was no exception with um, with this time in baseball and uh, yeah portraying that and being honest about it and uh, being a part of that it was a dream I mean like once sh- we there was a there's an episode where like myself and Roberta Calindras are at a bar and Rosie O'Donnell is our is the bartender and I was like is this some sort of like queer fantasy that I've manifested. Yeah, it was great. Um, So in the preparation for that, I I know Abby has mentioned that um, she got to speak with, with Penny Marshall early in the process. Did, did you guys get to hear from Penny as well, or, you know, hear firsthand some of those stories that you were trying to portray? Um, We didn't, I think, um, by the time we were all cast, I'm pretty sure Penny Marshall had actually passed away. Okay, so but, um, only, Abby, yeah. Yeah, Abby and Will had spoken to her and, and had, like, you know, got her blessing to, to do the project. I mean, the truth is, oh, I, I know I know very well how difficult it is for a woman to make films about, for a, for a woman to make films, period, is it difficult, and for a woman to make films, that are that that are centered around women narratives is impossible. Like people, there's sort of this like fiction that it's getting better. It's really not. It's extremely difficult to like pitch these ideas and and have financiers be excited about the stories and the lived experience of women. So the fact that Penny Marshall even made this movie is incredible. So there's no shade towards her in the fact that she wasn't able to explore um, the queer na- narrative and the diverse narrative and because even the fact that she made this is is a complete anomaly in like the 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 canon of, of of cinema, and the fact that it's like the most successful baseball flick of all time is such a testament to like what it represents and what women in sports can represent, and that kind of like 
um, like the spirit of it. But, but uh, yeah, we, I, we didn't end up getting, obviously didn't get to meet Penny Marshall, but um, she gave her blessings. I know that Gina Davis recently in Los Angeles, like got to meet with some of the cast um, for the Cinespia screening of it. So I'm hoping there's a lot of love there. And of course, a lot of love from Rosie who's in the show. Yeah, I, I'm sure there is. And, and obviously it's not my experience directly to, to speak to, but I'd imagine too, you know, there's something to the fact that Penny was able to make that when she did. And, and like you said, it's an anomaly that keeps a space open for now Abby and Will and, and all of you to come in and explore it even deeper with, you know, I, I hate to frame things this way, but like with an established name that is going to hook yeah. people and bring people to it. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, we, uh, a lot of people are like, well, no more reboots, no more reboots. This is not a reboot. It's a reimagining. Mm -hmm. Or you just think of it like we're making another movie. We're making another property about the AAGPBL, a time in history when there was professional female baseball. And the fact is, there still isn't an all-professional female baseball league. There still isn't a place for women to play professional baseball. So heaven forbid we give these women a little more airtime, and heaven forbid we make a second piece of art about this time in history. I mean, to prepare for this, for this show, I, like, you know, I, I know baseball, but I was like, okay, baseball in the 40s. So I watched the 10-hour Ken Burns documentary. Oh, boy. I was so, <laughs> I was so stoked. And I, you know, as a Canadian, I learned a lot about the American pastime and how it relates to America and how America relates to democracy and how democracy <laughs> to baseball. And it was a lot of like, okay, Ken, like, love you, but okay, we got it. Like, and then, and then he like, you know, he's going through the minutia of, you know, the forming a union and how this happened and factory teams and farmer teams. And then it gets to the forties and, and it's like, and then women played sports. And then I got up. I was like, oh, it's happening. He's going to talk about the AHGBBL. And I got up, turned on the kettle, came down, and it was over. <laughs> he, gave us like, he gave us like two minutes in a 10-hour documentary. And I was like, what the heck? So it was um, – it's, it's like so many people don't know these women names. They don't know Faye Dancer. They don't know Gladys Davis. They don't know Hel Helen G uh, Galligan. They don't know Bonnie Baker. They don't know Tony Stone. They don't know Connie Morgan. They don't know Mammy Peanut Johnson. Like these are – these are icons in female sports and we don't know their names. So I think it's an important time and particularly Canadian female athletes right now are killing it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I was in Pittsburgh watching uh, Christine Sinclair's like <sighs> soccer team, watching Julia Grosso, like from Vancouver, kick that last winning goal. I was sobbing. I was like, water was pouring out of my face. I was just, Absolutely. So, and then the female hockey team, which of course, like Ferda on that as a, as a as representing Lumberkin, <laughs> I'm all about the. So I think it's like, there's a zeitgeist of people getting excited about, um, like, I think even like I heard Justin Bieber, like tweeted about the women's hockey and people lost their mind. And you're like, yeah, but good for Justin Bieber. Like he knows his platform, mm -hmm. like he's supporting the women and like not to make another, uh, not to reference like another iconic baseball movie, but um, if you build it, they will come. Like it all, it's in our hands. It's in the fans' hands to become. All you have to do is become a fan of one female baseball player. And if her name is Kelsey Whitmore or Beth Greenwood, Beth Greenwood, these two women are studs. And if you watch them play, you will be a fan for life. And then guess what? Our our we put money in in those tickets, and then people, then the corporations that all that own all these you know, these entities will start listening. And um, yeah, I think the narratives behind women in sports are 
super sick and different and interesting. And like, let's not forget that uh, the film that we're that we're like paying homage to is about a team that loses. So, mm-hmm. you know, sports is not just about um, like how fast, how hard, how strong, like. You know, the, the the thing that I get a lot from guys sometimes are like, I don't want to watch chicks in sports because it's not like as fast or as hard or as strong as it as the men. And it's like, well, what of my what a narrow definition of what you think sports is, you know? Like it's so it's so narrow. Yeah, like buddy, you, you cheer for the Toronto Maple Leafs after six first round playoff <laughs> exits in a row. And it clearly oh my God. clearly that's not the standard you're holding all your sports watching to, right? I am Feeling that. I'm um, feeling that. That is such a better retort. I'm taking that. <laughs> and, and Kelly, to your point about um, women in baseball, actually later on the show today, I have Jada Lee coming on, who's a 16-year-old who is pitching. She's the first female pitcher um, to pitch in the Canada Games. She's pitching with Team yeah. Newfoundland. She's, she throws 80 miles an hour. Like, you can't <laughs> show me the other 16-year-olds that are blowing away 80 miles an hour. She's going three up, three down. Don't tell me that there aren't women who can play uh, a good yeah, piece of exactly. baseball as well. Actually, she's throwing out the first pitch on Saturday, uh, so no pressure on you when you throw out the first pitch at the oh, Jays game tomorrow. My God. The person who Listen. follows you the next day can hit 80 on the radar gun, so no pressure, Kelly. I don't feel any pressure. What are you talking about? I haven't stayed up the last four nights trying to consider why I've even gone into this career. <laughs> What's, like my, my brother, I told my brother, and he was like, Kelly, do you know how many like people are going to be at that game? I was like, Chris, we're... <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm trying to make it as an actor, so if it doesn't go too well, you know, my ego will just be a little hurt, but in general, hopefully, yeah, okay. My <laughs> my expectations are much higher now, though, because you, you told me how, how athletic you are, how much work you put in uh, on the baseball side. I'll be yeah. there tomorrow. I'm... I can have a close eye on it. No no pressure at all. By the way, um, I know you're a Vancouver person. Are you a Mariners fan or a Jays fan? I'm a Jays fan, um, though I will say definitely I'm a Jays fan. I was I was never a Mariners fan. Like, I didn't quite – the fact that Seattle was so close is not a thing. Um, uh, I was a competitive swimmer, so, like, um, swimming was kind of my thing at the time. But I, I am – I did grow grow up with James Paxton, who okay, was a no-hitter cool. on the James Stadium playing for the Mariners. So – um, but no, I'm definitely a Jays fan. I was too young for like the Joe Carter sort of like nineties nostalgia, good times. but, um, uh, definitely, definitely happy to be watching them and now and, and kind of like, as I've lived in Toronto for the last eight years. Uh, but yeah, definitely not a Mariners fan. No, it's, it's the short answer. <laughs> yeah, and and it's the the right answer on a on a Jays talk show. Last yeah. one for you before we let you go, Kelly. And it's a minor spoiler, but how yeah. was it decided, and how psyched were you that you get the iconic "There's no crying in baseball" line in the show? I was psyched, and then immediately terrified, and then <laughs> wanted it to be over with um, because nobody can out Tom Tom Hanks, and I wasn't going to attempt. And uh, but I will say that, like of all the characters, the sentiment behind it, I think Jess sort of really takes to heart because she's really uh, doesn't doesn't want to mess around with that. But I was terrified. Like I didn't say the line alone to myself before. <laughs> like I didn't practice. I was like, I'm just gonna say it and then walk away and it will be done. And, uh, you know, I knew that line was a big deal, but now that the show's come out, it's kind of like newsworthy that it, I, I say this. And I, I really, I was like, Oh damn, this is, 
<laughs> this was an important moment. <laughs> um, but no, I, I don't, I don't try for anyone listening. I don't try and out Tom Tom and the nine times that he says it. Cause he says it like he says it so many times in the scene. Uh, but yeah, it was a huge honor and I hope people don't roast me for it. And if they do, whatever, there's no crying in baseball, whatever. Hey, <laughs> if they roast you for it, that means they were watching, right? So end of the day, at <laughs> least you, you got them in there. Um, Kelly McCormack, uh, a league of their own. And while you're firing up a league of their own on prime, check out sugar daddy as well, which you, you wrote and starred in. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for, I mean, this was, this was a ton of fun. Really looking forward to watching the rest of the show, but now really, really looking forward to your first pitch tomorrow. Oh, gosh. Okay. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure chatting with you. Kelly McCormack of A League of Their Own. Uh, that premieres on Prime Video tomorrow. You can check out all eight episodes uh, then. it's I, I caught the first two. They sent me a screener ahead of time to prep for this interview. They're really good. It's, uh, it's funny. It's a fresh extension of the original um, and... As the episodes go on, I'm sure it's only going to get better. And Kelly uh, does a, a great job hitting the Moose Jaw Saskatchewan farm boy, as she put it. Uh, a lot of fun. So check Kelly McCormack out. Uh, check her character, Jess McCready. And check out A League of Their Own. Streaming tomorrow on Prime Video. Uh, all eight episodes will be out. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jada Lee. 16-year-old girl playing with the boys in the Canada games, going three up, three down, pushing 80 on the radar gun, representing, of course, Team Newfoundland. Jada Lee's next, and then we'll, uh, we'll kick around some stuff to tee up the Guardians Jays series a day in advance. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is, of course, Great Big C doing the, uh, the theme for Republic of Doyle. We're getting extremely Newfoundland right here. Uh, Alan Hocko, by the way, from Belle Island, where my dad lives. Just across the ferry, land in Portugal Cove, you go up to St. John's, you can watch our next guest play some baseball. She's Jada Lee. She's a member of Team Newfoundland at the Canada Games. She became the first girl to uh, pitch or play for uh, a boys team in the Canada games uh, in part because there is no girls baseball there. Something that uh, we'll talk about in this interview and something that uh, needs addressing in a larger scale, more opportunities for uh, girls and women, as we just talked about with Kelly McCormack to play baseball um, at the youth level, recreationally, professionally. Can't put all that on Jada Lee's shoulders for now. She's just hitting 80 on the gun and going three up, three down and, uh, you know, throwing out the first pitch at the Blue Jays game on Saturday. Here's our chat with Jada Lee of Team Newfoundland, uh, the first girl to pitch on a boys team at the Canada Games. Joined now by Jada Lee, class of 2023 with baseball Newfoundland, uh, part of Team Newfoundland at the Canada Games. Jada, uh, good morning. Thanks for taking the time. How are you doing? Good. How are you? 
I'm good, thank you. Uh, so the big news to me, uh, obviously your story's been very cool at the Canada Games, but my dad had told me that he was the best baseball player to come from Newfoundland. Uh, I guess this is a, a lie I've been living my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in terms of uh, you representing Newfoundland, I want to get into some of the the special stuff about you being the, the first ever uh, woman to to play in the Canada Games on the baseball side. But you also got to carry the Newfoundland flag at the opening ceremonies. Um, how special was that for you? Uh, it was definitely a big honor. And like walking in in front of everyone into the arena was um, a pretty cool moment and definitely will be remembered. Was it uh, a little intimidating at all, or like that's nothing compared to taking the mound with like two outs and runners on base? Uh, it was a bit nerve-wracking, but um, it, was, it was still good. That's good. Um, okay, so you grew up in Newfoundland, and, and I know you have older brothers, and, and your dad coached you. Um, what is it about baseball that, that kind of hooked you in? Uh, mainly just like the atmosphere at the field. Like I grew up around the field, and I made a lot of my friends at the field so just being around the field in general was always fun um do you get the chance to to watch a lot of baseball like do you have any any favorite pitchers or anything like that uh i don't have a favorite player but i do watch some games that's good um so you now you now get to uh throw out the first pitch on saturday that's uh that's got to be i mean i know it hasn't happened yet but i'd imagine that's going to be pretty cool for you yeah it's very exciting uh, so when you go up there, you know, sometimes when celebrities go up for the first pitch, they'll like play it safe and throw like a safe one to make sure they, they get it to the catcher. Are you, are you going to bring your A stuff? Like you, you're going to step in there and throw your heat? Yes, I plan on throwing an actual pitch. Okay, great. Um, and I know that you, you've touched 80 at times. You think the, the adrenaline of that day will help you get, get to 80 with it? I mean, hopefully. <laughs> um, okay, so you you are the first uh, female pitcher to pitch in the Canada Games, the the first um, female to to compete with a boys team. Being that kind of groundbreaker, what has that meant to you this last little while? Uh, it means a lot to know like younger girls are looking up to me, and that I can be like a inspiration of sorts to them. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I see, you know, some on the, the bringing signs to the games. I'm sure you've got uh, a bunch on social media. What is that? Yeah. I mean, you're only you're only 16. That's, um, yeah. you know, that's that's got to be pretty cool. But also like that's a that's a big responsibility. How, do, how does that feel for you? Uh, good. Sometimes it's um, a lot for sure. But um, so the main part is just pretty cool. And it's a lot of the younger kids is really cute, but um, I get some messages from them as well. There's two girls. They brought a sign to my game, and they were talking to me before the game, and they bought me candy then after, and that was really cute. Uh, what kind of candy? <laughs> Sour Patch Kids. Nice, nice. Is that a good choice? Yeah. Like that ranks high on your on your favorites? Yeah, pretty good. Nice. Nice, not bad. Um, so when you look at the the impact you're having here, I, I know you've talked about, you know, being that role model. Do you are you also hoping that this can kind of not inspire, but you know, 
girls baseball is something that is still fighting at times to, you know, there's not girls baseball in the Canada games, for example, or a full, um, you know, college opportunity for, for girls who want to play baseball. Are you hoping to kind of influence that with, with your story here? Yeah, hopefully this can be like a stepping stone for female baseball. Yeah, I, I would hope so too. And um, obviously that, I mean, that should be a, a thing on its own. Um, so being the first uh, woman to to pitch in these events, your, your dad told a story that I saw on social media of, of an opponent kind of laughing at you once and you shutting him down. And I know uh, you, you were a little worried that you, whether or not you were allowed to say shut up in a different interview, I promise you, you could say shut up here. Um, what is it like? I, I mean, at this point, I know you're pretty established, but um, on the way up, you know, dealing with all male opponents and what they would maybe think of a, of a girl pitching against them. Honestly, up here, I haven't had anything from it. Um, well, as so far, at least. But, um, yeah, when I was younger, there was definitely a few, like, snickers from the dugout or whatever. But for the most part, like, it stops once the game started or, like, um, once I actually pitched, it would stop. But I honestly haven't gotten very much. Uh, I know a few girls that have gotten a lot worse. And for me, it's, like, in Newfoundland, like, I haven't – I've played with the same guys growing up and – most of the players know me, so it's like I haven't really gotten any hard times. That, that's great. And you let your, your kind of pitching and your, your play do the talking, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, so you have this first outing, and you get that nice three-up, three-down inning. The ball is going into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, you see, you know, major leaguers commenting on it on Twitter. Uh, how How cool was that response that you kind of – I guess like a viral baseball moment, kind of. <laughs> some of it, some of it's a bit um, like a lot, but it's definitely really cool and um, a lot of stuff that I'm going to remember for a while. That's great. Um, so, moving forward, I, I know you've talked a little bit about adding velocity, working on some of your secondary uh, pitches. Um, what is next for you? Like once the Canada games are done, what is the next little bit between now and, and when you head to college or university? Um, what are you hoping to do and what does the next little bit look like for you? I'd like to play for Team Canada and um, I have a few tournaments coming up now, some showcases and nationals and stuff. So just to like win those I guess (laughs) um have you started thinking about college at all or or is grade 11 a little too early for that still uh I have a bit but I'm not really sure where I want to go yet uh that's uh you know the I'm sure I'm sure the people in Newfoundland want you to go the Mun route but uh I don't know what the what the baseball program's like there um so team Canada Uh, I don't think there is a baseball program oh no well there you go I I guess Mun's out then um (laughs) For the rest of uh, the Canada games here, do you like? Are we going to get to see Jada Lee back catcher? Are we going to get to see Jada Lee middle infielder? Do Do you have any sense of if you'll uh, get to show off more than just the the seventy nine eighty mile an hour heater? Uh, up here, I'm a pitcher only, so I won't okay. be in the field. But um, at home, I play in the field. Nice. Um, I, I take it pitching is kind of your favorite, though. Yes. Nice. Um, well, I guess 
you know, we'll round it out here. I, I actually, just before I spoke to you, I, I spoke to uh, a Canadian actress named Kelly McCormick, who's in that new A League of Their Own show uh, that's coming yeah. out this week. And so it's kind of uh, kind of on theme for the day. But when you, if there were other, you know, younger girls out there, the ones who haven't reached out to you on social media yet, didn't bring you Sour Patch Kids, um, what would your message to them be if they're looking to get into baseball or they're already into baseball and they're a little younger than you on the way up? Uh, to stay determined and just strive to be better and never be happy with where you're at and um, just keep pushing. Well, Jada Lee, thank you so much for, for taking the time out this morning. Uh, keep up all the great work and keep representing Newfoundland and Canada and the sport of baseball so well. Thank you. That was Jada Lee, a 16-year-old for Team Newfoundland at the Canada Games, holding it down. Wish her the best of luck the rest of the tournament, the rest of uh, her season as well. Toronto Blue Jays, not in action tonight. They're not in action until Friday. When And then Saturday, we got to find out who's throwing out the first pitch on Sunday and have them on the show tomorrow. We got to complete the cycle of people throwing out the first pitch this weekend. Uh, Jada's going to throw it out Saturday. Kelly McCormack, who we were speaking to a little earlier, throwing it out Friday. No game tonight. No game last night. The old rain out. Makes it a little glum in these last 15 minutes where normally I'd be teeing up tonight's game, giving you the pitcher matchups, giving you the the breakdowns. The Cleveland Guardians, by the way, who are here this weekend, just scored in the top of the 10th to take a lead against the Detroit Tigers. So barring a collapse there, it looks like they'll come in even closer to the Blue Jays. They are, of course, at the top of the AL Central right now. So it might not matter as much, but all of those central teams are very close to refresh you on where the Jays are at right now. 60 and 50. They do hold the top wildcard spot, but they only hold it by half a game over the Seattle Mariners. Mariners not in action today. Behind that Baltimore, Tampa Bay are two games back of the Jays. They are tied for that final spot. Baltimore playing Boston tonight. The other team's off. Uh, Minnesota and the White Sox, uh, one and two and a half games back of Tampa and Baltimore, respectively. And then Cleveland, were they not leading the Central, would be tied with Baltimore and Tampa as well. So for our purposes, it's about a seven-team race. One of those teams will win the AL Central and, and bow out of the wildcard race. And the other six will be fighting for that wild card spot. The Jays, by most metrics, are the best of these teams. They have the best run differential. They have the best offense. Um, their pitching statistically hasn't been quite as bad as it feels at times. Uh, forgive me if I don't believe that that's going to maintain for a bullpen that struggles to get swing and miss stuff and a rotation that has a couple question marks. The lead is not significant so you got to start winning some here and Cleveland is right in the mix with you you got three against them you're going to play Baltimore again with three against them we just saw what that looks like they're not going away quietly you've got four against the Yankees after that and then sure you got three against the Red Sox and the Red Sox are falling off here in pretty dramatic fashion but you don't think the Red Sox will be up to try to play spoiler against some of these AL East teams down the stretch they're actually only five games out of a playoff spot too. So 
conceivably by that time, they could be closer. I doubt it. But they'll still probably be up to play spoiler. They'll, they'll want those games. So it doesn't get easy anytime soon. I mentioned it earlier in the show. This is how Cleveland's going to line up this weekend. Cal Quantrill, Tristan McKenzie, Shane Bieber. Those are ERAs of 388, 316, and 321. That is uh, not a friendly trio of pitchers to go up against. The Blue Jays are going to start Jose Barrios on Friday. We don't know what they're going to do yet in the other spots. There are a couple options. If the only three games you cared about were this weekend, you could technically go Burrios, Gossman, Manoa, and they'd all be on enough rest because of the double off day. I don't think you're going to do that. I do think they're going to tweak the, the order, though, because if they didn't touch anything, what you'd be looking at is Barrios, White, Gosman, Kikuchi, Manoa. So one day extra for Gosman, two days extra for Manoa. Even if you'd like the two days extra for Manoa, I still think you're probably going Barrios, Gosman, then White spot, then Manoa, then Kikuchi. Gets Manoa one extra day off. It keeps Kikuchi in the spot where if you need to skip a starter at some point, he's the guy. They play 10 days in a row, so you won't skip someone in the rotation this time. Maybe Ross Stripling comes back, and that's the spot. Either way, you want to line this up in a way that allows you to skip someone if necessary as things get tighter if they continue to struggle. You want to set things up where Kevin Gosman and Alec Manoa, as much as, as is reasonable with the workload, get as many starts as possible down the stretch. My guess is they go Brios, Gosman, White, and then Manoa, leads off the Baltimore series. Just my guess. We'll see. Watch it come down at uh, 4.56 today. That That's incorrect. Uh, we'll see how that goes. We don't. We have a couple questions in the text line and, and on Twitter. Um, 590-590, you can text in questions for the last 10 minutes here before we kick it over to fan drive time. There were a couple questions about injury updates, um, whether that's at the George Springer Tim Mesa level or at the... Julian Merriweather, Taylor Sacedo, Nate Pearson level. Generally, the first game of a series is when we get those kind of spammed injury updates. So I'd imagine we'll get some news tomorrow. The latest on those names, though, Julian Merriweather has been pretty good on a rehab assignment. Maybe getting close. But Julian Merriweather is also... Julian Merriweather, as much as he lights up the radar gun and can get some swing and miss stuff, he's novel to this bullpen. How reliable is that going to be when it comes to keeping runs off the board or staying healthy? Your guess is as good as mine. He has thrown four and a third shutout innings, though, in the minors with a whole lot of strikeouts. A little bit of extra depth won't hurt. Nate Pearson is much further away. Um, At last update, Pearson was throwing from 120 feet on flat ground. That is uh, far from being ready to even get on a rehab assignment, let alone be a factor for the bullpen in September. Taylor Sacedo is a more interesting one because the Jays don't have a lefty in the bullpen currently. Matt Gage would be the next man up. But Sacedo, who has been on the 60-day injured list, They're going to have to make a a call on that at some point because he's done a bunch of rehab outings. 
He's thrown 14 and two thirds innings in AAA this year, 0.61 ERA, strikeout rate over 30%. Still not the best of control, and forgive me if I don't think he's going to allow zero home runs forever. But an interesting name from the left side when you're short on those. Again, Matt Gage probably the the first guy up there, but they might have to make a 40 man determination on Sacedo soon. Tim Mesa, by the way, uh, it doesn't sound like this is going to be a season ender. Ben Nicholson Smith tweeted yesterday that he's already played some catch. I gave Ben a hard time because the fact that Mesa can't actually catch the ball because of his shoulder means he wasn't playing catch. He was just throwing the ball. Um, but that's that as well. And then George Springer, Ben Ennis mentioned it earlier that the the belief is that he could return when he's first eligible on August 15th. What's that, Monday? Uh, Arden Zwelling had mentioned the other day that that was possible. We'll see. If that's the case, you got to make that Jackie Bradley Jr. Bradley Zimmer call sometime soon. Not that that's the end of the world. Uh, but yeah, as guys return from the 60-day DL, IL rather, as guys return from shorter term injuries, you're gonna you're gonna lose a couple pieces of depth here, I think. And maybe they don't get claimed because at this point in the year, why are you picking up the uh the Jays scraps, I guess? But it does affect the depth, and you're still nineteen or twenty days away from that roster expansion. The other names on the IL, by the way, are Hyunjin Ryu and Ross Stripling. Obviously, Ryu is not in the picture for this year, maybe not even next year. Uh, the hope with Stripling has been that he would miss the minimum. Uh, he is going to make a rehab start. Oh, he was supposed to make a rehab start at AAA yesterday. Did he do that? He did not. So I'm not sure what that reporting was, if it was just inaccurate or uh, they had to shuffle things by a day. But they don't have stats for that game, at least. Um, that one was in Syracuse. I'm just bringing up the box score here. Yeah, Stripling did not pitch in that one. Uh, Thomas Hatch actually threw five and a third shutout innings. Are you guys back on the Thomas Hatch bandwagon? I don't think so. Uh, Hayden Yinger, by the way, th- uh, allowed one over two innings in that one, three Ks. That's a name that we've talked about with some prospect people who could potentially help the bullpen down the stretch as well. He's carrying a 174 ERA since getting the bump to AAA. Foster Griffin got uh, touched up in that game. Uh, I mentioned this the other day as well, that the Dunedin Blue Jays at single A had a whole bunch of Jays draft picks debut for them the other day. Josh Kasevich had three hits in the opener, one hit in the follow-up game. Doty has hit in both games. Uh, playing third base. Kasevich has been playing short. It's something to keep an eye on. Keep an eye on those box scores. Don't know if we're going to see Barriera or Tucker Toman just yet. But it's always fun. Um, and uh, our pal Mike Kareen lets me know that Stripling's rehab start is Friday. So he'll start with Buffalo tomorrow. So that's good. And that would, if Mitch White does end up pitching Sunday... That would put Stripling in a decent spot to start the next Mitch White spot in the rotation. So thank you to our pal Mike Green for that. And if you are a Buffalo Bisons fan, you have that to look forward to on Friday. So 
we're going to have a whole nother show teeing up this series. A couple guests coming on tomorrow. Our pal Ben Clemens from Fangraphs is going to come on. He wrote a piece that I've mentioned a couple times on Teoscar Hernandez and his approach changes. I want to pick Ben's brain about whether that's something that can be applied to other hitters or if it's you know unique to a certain type of hitter. Ben's also been looking at shift stuff over the course of the year. The Jays were a very heavy shift team early in the year and have scaled off that at least a little bit. They still have the most runs runs provided in terms of value by outfield shifts, and their infield defense has been excellent, a huge swing from last year. Uh, but Ben's been looking at what other teams do, and particularly teams that avoid the shift, or in the case of the San Francisco Giants, are anti-shift as he framed it today. So we'll talk to Ben Clemens about that stuff tomorrow. We'll have our pal Ben Wagner on uh, before the game. And then if you're listening to the game on the radio tomorrow, little news item here. Uh, not only will I be doing Jay's talk post game, also be helping Ben and Ben, Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson Smith out with some in-game updates. I'll be down at the game in the radio booth with them. Uh, just trying something new. So we'll set all that up tomorrow. The Cleveland guardians just, uh, not a soft spot in the schedule. And, and there were people who were a little disappointed that they weren't more aggressive at the deadline. It's pretty typical of them. It's not all that surprising. Uh, it was actually the Minnesota Twins being aggressive that was most surprising from those teams and, and the White Sox sitting back. It's a good team. Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill. Quantrill doesn't miss bats. It's a little... It's not hard to figure out how he has a sub four ERA, but most of the metrics don't think that's going to hold up. And Bieber and McKenzie strike out a lot more batters. None of the three walk anyone. And even the top names in Cleveland's bullpen don't walk anyone. Trevor Steffen and Emmanuel Class don't walk anybody. Eli Morgan doesn't walk anybody. It's not going to be the most favorable of weekends for the Jays if they're trying to be hyper, hyper aggressive early on. Now, I, you could say those guys throw a lot of strikes. You could be aggressive against it. Yeah, but those guys are elite location guys. And with the exception of Quantrill, not a lot of, hey, you can hit these guys hard when they're throwing it in the zone. Um, certainly not with Bieber, McKenzie, Emmanuel. Those are not guys that you're going to have an easy time against. So tough days ahead. We'll see how the Jays juggle their rotation. Jose Barrios will get the ball on Friday. Bobachette, by the way, um, there's a piece up at sportsnet.ca from Ben Nicholson-Smith uh, from last night about Bobachette and his recent push at the plate. Since he's gone into the five spot, the process has really improved. There's also another great piece up at sportsnet.ca from Arden Swelling on Mitch White, particularly how uh, at one point Mitch White said, my slider sucks. I need to figure this out uh, when he was a Dodger. And some of the changes they've made, some of the changes he's made before he got to Toronto with the slider. The Jays think they have plenty to work with with the five-pitch mix there. He's probably in the cards somewhere on the weekend. We'll see how the Jays line that up. It's probably the biggest question before the games, uh, but we will talk to Ben Clemens. We'll talk to Ben Wagner. We'll talk to someone from the Cleveland side tomorrow. Set this whole thing up. Thank you to J.D. Bunkus and Ben Ennis for coming on a little earlier. Thank you to Jada Lee. Hope she continues the great work with Team Newfoundland. 
Thank you to JR and Derek behind the glass. And a big thank you to Kelly McCormack. Make sure tomorrow you check out on Prime a league of their own eight episode series. Uh, it's really good, the ones that I've seen so far. And Kelly's a blast. Uh, we're back tomorrow. Jay's Talk Plus.